0: I can't watch any of their stuff without thinking of you and your bold boldness. <laughs> <laughs> this is Van Color. Van Color.
1: A the West Coast. <laughs> My name is Moamir, and today on This is Van Color, we are celebrating the third anniversary of the podcast. I've been doing this thing for three years, and what an incredible journey it's been. And there's only one person who would be a fitting guest for the occasion. He is, of course, a returning guest who has already logged over six hours on this podcast over three monster episodes that still hold up episodes 30 60 and 100 some of the finest hours of this is van color he doesn't need a fancy introduction because he's my bro he's the mayor of port coquitlam he is brad west brad
0: how are you mo fan freaking tastic and i'll tell you why (laughs) why the other day Mm -hmm. two two or three days ago i received a, a facebook notification on my phone Hmm. Hmm. What's this? Requires some investigation. Click on it. A friend request. From who? Mo Senior. Wow. Wow. I thought. He put it out there. I I thought. (laughs) You have now arrived. As a longtime admirer of your father and uh, <laughs> the wisdom that he dispenses. I, I felt very privileged for the friend request. I very quickly accepted it. I didn't want him to have any second thoughts and right. pull it back. Right, right. So we are friends. Wow, on
1: that's amazing to know. I'm actually surprised he didn't add you earlier.
0: Well, now I'm feeling, you know, <laughs> I, I was way up here and now, oh, <laughs> Did I do that? (laughs) No, no, you know what I
1: mean. That's really nice to know. He's obviously a big fan. And uh, thank you for those kind words about
0: uh, most senior. I appreciate that. He's a rock star. It's nice to see you in person. It's awesome to see you in person. It's nice to see any person in person. Yeah. Especially my bro. Um, Of course. I just got to say, you know, congratulations. I, I, probably say this again later on, but (laughs) it's amazing in three years what you've accomplished with this podcast, where you've taken it. uh, And it's been such a a privilege for me to be a part of the the journey. Of course. Along for the
1: ride. Like I've said, I feel like our paths have been intertwined uh, more than once, more than one occasion. And I appreciate you being here to celebrate this occasion. Despite all the times that I've had you on the podcast, you are still consistently... One of the most requested guests. People still want to hear more Brad West. Literally, like, I'll put out the Brad West episode, and it, within two weeks, like, get Brad back on the podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a few folks I could introduce. Them to. <laughs> my my wife may not share that sentiment, but um, I always I, I will remind her that there are six hours of me talking about things that she could. Right, we're gonna to. we're gonna add to that. We'll see where we go today.
1: I think this episode will swerve a lot of people, but I want to start with my own swerve. I've told you this ahead of time. I'm hanging up the microphone, maybe for good, maybe for a minute. Haven't decided yet. I do still love to do this, but I just need some time to to reassess some things, especially coming out of the pandemic. We have a hot guy summer awaiting us. Too hot. Too hot (laughs) right now. And I just want to, you know, take some time. So I think this will be the last... Full episode until I figure that out. I will still be a columnist for CBC Radio. The Soapbox Social will continue Thursdays at 4.10 p.m. on CBC's On the Coast with Gloria Makarenko. So, Brad, please do tune in for my weekly hot takes on the biggest local political news. I always do. I will still write for Vancouver is Awesome, and I just want to give a shout out to Bob Crownbauer for his continued support and friendship in providing me with that space And you know what i'm still gonna be ranting so every friday on this podcast feed don't unsubscribe yet because you will still hear me for two minutes ranting away being mad and if i do miss a week don't worry like i'm still doing it it's just like i probably got busy or something i might come back in the summer might not i honestly haven't decided I, i don't know i am leaning towards coming back in the fall maybe downscaling operations a bit to a monthly or something but i'm just going to enjoy my summer and and regroup and then figure out <laughs> what my next move is afterwards so i just want to say that you know this podcast has accomplished a lot in 3 years it is the biggest and baddest bc vancouver political culture podcast i don't think there's any question about that and and honestly it's been an honor so I'm privileged by all the guests, by all the listeners, by everyone in the Van Collar Ashram that's been so supportive to me, an outsider of, of media and politics, which is, as you also know, it's a hard circle to break into sometimes. <laughs> so thank you, everyone, for that. And Brad, thank you for marking this occasion. It's it's not just a third anniversary. It's a bit of a see you
0: later episode. Well, I have to say, I'm 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 happy that you're taking some time to reassess, and for you to decide what your next move is, uh, this has been your baby uh, <laughs> yes. to, to foreshadow yeah. some of our discussions. Yeah. And, you know, again, what you have done with this in such a short period of time, you're right, it is hard to break in and, and you like kick the door down uh, and have had such an impact, not only locally, but provincially Nationally, uh, the people that you've had on here, the stories that you've been involved in breaking, uh, the voices that you have amplified, including ones that we don't hear enough from. Uh, it really has been a public service, Mo, and I, I mean that sincerely. Uh, you have done, I think, a tremendous service to all of us who care about our community's future. So thank you. And well, thank you for you... that.
1: I appreciate it. That means a no, lot I mean to it. me. I, I mean it, yeah. It's funny, you know, just thinking back on some of our episodes together, there's actually probably a lot of things that I want to take back. This might be a theme of the podcast today. <laughs> like an apology tour. <laughs> the Bra- the Moamir apologizing to Brad West tour. So the last time you were here, I gave you a little shit for not being as vocal or as prominent in media in 2020 as you had been in 2019. And I do regret that because even though I don't have a family, I understand that when you're so relentlessly on your own time, outside of your actual work, standing up on the soapbox and and telling people what's what, it's like unsustainable at times. And, And you get prominent people who get mad at you, and maybe they feel threatened by you, and then the demands start rolling in, and you start sacrificing all this time. And... You know, there are a bunch of people doing the same thing or kind of out there, but I think you and I, in a lot of ways, we don't phone it in. We really put our hearts into being in that spotlight and, and, You know, usually complaining about what's wrong in the world, but trying to make a better, being a voice for a better change, I think. And it, it's rough and tumble sometimes, man. I used to be a, a ripped yoga model, and now I got, I'm sitting here with a gut. I got, I, got, I got to get fit again. I mean, it's tough. So I'm just trying to figure out what's important. And actually, I thought about that episode the last time we were here, and I was, uh,
0: I felt bad that I gave you a hard time. Well, don't feel bad and no apologies needed. I, I think you're right, though. There are times in our life where we need to take stock of what's going on and, mm-hmm. and where we're at. And, you know, certainly it was a different time and, and there were different priorities and, and demands. And, and there were also things that I was speaking out about in 2019 That we accomplished. So Mm -hmm. you know, the public inquiry was a big push. You know, uh, you know, trying to really shine a light on money laundering and what was happening in our province uh, and how it was impacting real people. And I think that that was important for me too. You know, not talking about it as just some sort of esoteric thing Mm -hmm. that's happening, but the real impact of billions of dollars of dirty money being washed clean, uh, throughout the province and a variety of means and how that would impact real people. Mm-hmm. So there were things that were important that we were able to accomplish. I say we, because there's not just me, there's so many people, uh, in this province who made those things a reality. And, and I think it's only because, you know, you had literally thousands of British Columbians demanding this, that it mm-hmm. happened. Um, so You kind of had those not completed, but work having been done. And then you have COVID and the intensity of that. and, And like I think it was describing to you on that episode, the demands as mayor to respond to COVID as it was unfolding in our community and trying to wrestle with it, understand what sort of supports we can provide our residents. I'm exceptionally proud of our city's record in that regard. Mm-hmm. You know we acted decisively. we you know didn't hum and haw. We made decisions in the best interest of our community and made them quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really think that we distinguished ourselves as a city and continue in terms of our response to COVID. and so that doesn't happen without a lot of focus and work. And then you know you're absolutely right. When you see that you're being um, pulled away from the thing that's most important to you, your family, mm-hmm. there are times when you need to course correct. You need to take corrective behavior. I I, I know that you know. At one point, I was uh, talking to uh, my wife, who is just so tremendously uh, supportive and um, and truly a, a partner in every sense of the word. Um you know, and it was during a period of time when I was getting pulled away a mm-hmm. lot. And, you know, we kind of had a discussion, I think in the evening after a long day and, you know. After putting in a three-hour shift with Mo Amir on, <laughs> this is Van color <laughs> That's right. Um But I just remembered uh, that conver- conversation being sort of, a wake-up call or mm. maybe not a wake-up call, but a, a moment to to really say, okay, I got to put my priorities back in yeah. order because they are they were starting to skew. Did you
1: yourself ever feel burnt out, particularly in that period? Like when I think about 2019, you were in the news basically every week, and it felt like almost every day you were doing some sort of media hit. I mean, and you were a great soundbite, right? Did you
0: start to feel... Burnt out or I'm tired <laughs> <laughs> I'm a pretty high energy person yeah uh, so I I don't know that I felt tired or burnt out and you know I, I also feel like when I can see that the issues that I'm articulating are, are getting attention I, mm. I thrive on that as well because you know I I I'm saying these things because they're deeply held beliefs and I want and I think they're important for us to be discussing as a as a country. And so it's very rewarding and energizing to see mm. that you're being able to kind of break through the noise and communicate a message that people are responding to yeah. and and forcing decision makers to respond and to do things as a result. Mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't say it was, you know, an exhaustion. Um, but at the same time, you know, fully admit to, to being human and, you know, (laughs) the, the, the hours, um, can take a toll on you and, and eventually something might suffer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe I don't have the, the energy to be able to be as, uh, as interactive, um, Mm. and hands on with my, my son as I, you know, wanna be. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> go from, you know, doing the full Paw Patrol setup with everything <laughs> all over the floor, acting out characters, to be like, hey bud, can we watch a movie? Yeah. You know, a- and and I wanna be the type of dad that is super involved and interactive yeah. and and you know and so
1: yeah. And yeah, I respect that and, and again we kinda touched on that the last time we were here about you refocusing back to your family, your wife, your son Liam, your newborn Owen. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you very much. So as fierce as you've been in the media, you know, clearly you've done a great job for Port Coquitlam. You're well-liked across the political spectrum. It actually surprises me the, the types of people that support you or that like elevate you where I'm like, I don't know if you guys have that much
0: in common, but anyways. Hey, I'm just on that. I'm all about having converts, you know? Of course. Of course. Let's, let's grow. Yes. You know, our, our movement, if I can call it that. Fair
1: enough. No, and, and I respect that. I'm just saying that you're that popular that it surprises me sometimes how many people across the spectrum you, you bring together. But when all this was happening there was uh, some stuff going on with your family the last couple of years and it was a rocky road to having your second child Owen.
0: It it really was and it's something that I've spoken about in in sort of general terms. You know, we my wife Blair and I have have been open about it without going into to great detail. Uh but it was um, in many ways, I guess, roller coaster is the is the right way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, before Owen, uh, who was born on may 26 uh, Blair had uh, four pregnancy losses. And it's something that really can shake you uh to the core as a couple Mm. and it's difficult i think at the at the best of times um and then when you layer on top of that the um the focus and 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 pressure and spotlight that comes with being an elected official, mm-hmm. uh, it you know it can make it and not a sob story, but it it can add a, another uh, challenge. You know, it, it's just another challenge. It just can make it at times feel like a bit of a pressure cooker. So, our our story is that um, before. Liam was born, uh, Blair suffered a pregnancy loss. And, you know, at, at that time, I guess we sort of thought it was a bit of an aberration, mm-hmm. you know. And, and you you don't expect it, of course. You know, when it happens, you know, the doctors tell you about how, how common uh, pregnancy loss can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and... <clears throat> And we kind of thought okay um we allow allowed ourselves a a period of time to uh to uh, grieve um and to 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 mourn that loss um but we were also really eager to um to try and have a um, another baby mm-hmm. or to try and have a baby um and so um got pregnant fairly quickly thereafter and had Liam and you know um that was such a life-altering moment for for the boat both of us mm-hmm. and um having him was just like the absolute greatest joy of my life ever and it had always been sort of our plan that we would have you know uh, two children um, and so, you know, we kind of had the best laid plans, right? Sure. Let's have the kids, you know, maybe like two years apart, mm-hmm. right? We kind of thought that'd be great. Um, and and so, you know, um, when that two-year window was, uh, was coming up, we got pregnant again very quickly and were like just... Super ecstatic about um, about uh, having a, another addition to our family and really feeling like our this would complete our family, and I remember like it was yesterday uh, going with Blair because I went to every single medical appointment I didn't miss a single one. Um, you know I didn't care what I had going on. Cancel it, move it. Mm -hmm. Would go to every single appointment, and we went to get the an ultrasound. And when we had gone through that process with Liam, um, you know the ultrasound technician does the ultrasound. They don't tell you anything. They go away, and then they come back, and they give you the photo, (laughs) right? And so remember, sitting in the room with her, and the door opening, and it's not the ultrasound technician; it's a doctor. Hmm. And you know the doctor um, shared with us that um, that the pregnancy um, was not going to progress, and you go from a euphoria uh, and sense of joy and happiness that i don't think has a comparison on this earth to uh just a profound sense of loss yeah uh and it happens in a nanosecond and so that was uh really hard for us and you know, all the questions again about why is, why has this happened? Is there something wrong with us? All of those things, just, you know, you have this just flood of questions. And we worked through that process and, you know, heard basically similar things to what we had heard the first time, uh, we had a loss, these things happen, you know. Um, they're they're more common than you think. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, when when you guys are ready, you should try again. Um, and so again, we went through that period of of grieving and being there for each other. And I think at this point, other than our immediate family, um, and sh- sharing this with them we weren't really talking a lot, uh, to friends about it. Um, you know, it was something that we were kind of not quiet about, but it was something that we were going through and not a lot of people knew.
1: Well, I imagine it's also that toll of having to tell people about it as well. It's not something you want to do necessarily. Right.
0: Absolutely. And, and so Anyways, there, after that, um, you know, after a period of time, we decided that we would try again and got pregnant again um, fairly quickly and, you know, felt really positive uh, about it, you know, kind of, you know, you, you do this kind of silly thing of like, well, the odds are right right you know okay, well you know right. since we've had two the odds are you know we're good and that first period of you know um eight to ten weeks of waiting to be able to get an ultrasound is is such um I don't know how to describe it. it's kind of unearthly it's like you're you're just waiting for time to pass mm-hmm. you know um and and that's what we were doing we were just waiting for the time to pass to be able to have the ultrasound and confirm that um, a baby was there and i remember like you know we were so eager we're, like phone the doctor, like come again, ultrasound early and that sort of stuff. And I think they even tried as I recall, but couldn't tell. So anyways, um, uh, they said, uh, you know, no, you got to wait. And and I think if my memory serves me, we were just a couple days away from getting that ultrasound um, when Blair started miscarrying. And, uh, you know, it, uh, again, it was just, um, I don't even know how to describe it, Mo. Um, I, I don't know how to put the words to it, but we went through it. <clears throat> and, and so, I mean, at, 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 that point, um, we're, you know, just, Kind of at a loss and, and 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 felt lost and and that's despite getting amazing support and and care from from doctors and nurses, mm. um, and you know answering our questions and you know doing everything they could, but we were lost uh, just because of the experience and. We decided after a period of time, and, and this time we waited longer that, um, we would try, uh, again. And this time, you know, again, we, after having gone through sort of an extended period of, of, of grieving and, and, and kind of questioning whether it's meant to be Mm -hmm. we get ourselves in the headspace where okay we're gonna we're gonna do this again and i remember like we tried to do like everything by the book i guess right Right. so like prenatal vitamins like super early you know all the different things that you know dr google (laughs) (laughs) sure <laughs> tells you you should do yeah uh, and and you know you get different people's adv- advice and try this try that anyways we we do all these things and sh- we get pregnant again and this time uh, things seem to be progressing um, fairly well okay. and we're you know, staring down that ultrasound day right. as we have in the past. And we go to the appointment and the ultrasound technician does the ultrasound. They go away, come back, the door opens. It's the ultrasound technician. And so we're kind of like a collective, like, <sighs> mm-hmm. and they tell us um, we, we can't, tell you need to come back in in another week things are um we're we're not able to tell from the ultrasound we want to give it another week Hmm. and so um so we we do that and we go back in a week and get the ultrasound the technician leaves the room is gone for probably five minutes, feels like five hours. I remember this so vividly. The door opens and the doctor's there. Fuck. And both of us immediately just break down because we know. And yes, that that was what the, the doctor told us. And so, at that point, um, after uh, the four losses, three of which were in a row, um, we get referred to uh, a recurrent pregnancy loss clinic at mm-hmm. Women's Hospital. And again, just a, a comment about the amazing people who, who work at, at Women's Hospital. And you know we go through a process with them of trying to determine you know what things what's going on what things might be impacting um and that pro- you know that that process and i'm of course i'm I'm going through this more quickly than it happened sure, right? no, and but I, just I pre- for the the you know for the sake of kind of taking you through it they do so many different, um, tests and, and different things. And, you know, a lot of different things are, they're all coming back normal and, Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, is that kind of the frustrating part where the, no one's telling you that there's something wrong with you. You just, you so desperately want there to be this moment where it's like, this is why. And then you're like, okay, excellent. Now we can fix it. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I also remember, um, through this whole process, like hearing a lot about statistics and, you know, it was something that Blair and I talked about because it was like, you know, in all the little handouts to give you like, well, the st- statistics of this bad thing happening are only, you know, 5%, mm-hmm. 3% or 2% or 1%. We kept on... Being the five percent, or the three percent, or two percent, or one percent in these things that we're go, that we were going through, um, and so we, we went through that process, a whole bunch of testing, and uh, eventually after an extended period of of being under um, uh, children uh, women's hospitals, um, a recurrent pregnancy loss clinic team. The doctor says to us, okay, I think when you're ready, you're able to, to try again. And. But hadn't identified any particular issue or. N- no, nothing like could never get to that definitive hmm. discovery of why is it different ideas about what may have happened. Yeah. But never a definitive this has happened. This is how we'll fix it. Um and, and that feeling of, and certainly no fault of doctors or anything no, like that, no, but that, no. that feeling of being in limbo mm-hmm. was I, something really challenging for for the both of us. Um and it brings up so many different, you know, issues about um and questions that go through your head about what did i do wrong you know yeah um, what's wrong with me what's wrong with us so you know there's a lot there that we collectively worked through as a couple and then we do get to that point where the doctor has told us it's okay to go again and and we decide that we're ready and as opposed to our previous experiences where became becoming Blair becoming pregnant happened quite quickly. Uh, this time it didn't. In it was taking it. You know, we, we just kind of assumed that it would happen like it had happened previously, mm-hmm. really quickly, uh, and it didn't. And at first we just kind of thought, oh, maybe that's a, it's kind of weird. Um. and you know the time went on and stretched and, and still nothing um, and eventually we got a referral um, to a fertility clinic and made the decision to uh, conceive through IVF mm. and I just want to make a point about that. When we made that decision, you know, you you go through their whole process and they explain to you the different options that are available to you, and you know, IVF is not cheap. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, going to cost us about twenty-five thousand dollars it's $25,000 that we didn't have. We made, you know, we were able to go get a line of credit for it. Wow. borrow. The point I want to make is that we're very grateful that that was an option for us. Mm -hmm. And that even though we didn't have the $25,000, we were able to go and get a line of credit to be able to proceed. I know that there are lots of couples and families who face similar challenges and don't have the financial means or can't go get a line of credit like that. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's something we talk about later, but This experience really has opened my eyes to areas where I think more support can be provided um, to couples who are going through similar things but I'll I'll set that aside for now we go through the IVF and it was successful and and Blair was pregnant um, on the, the first the first attempt and You know, we were so happy and just overjoyed. Mm -hmm. And then we knew, and I think we had this in the back of our mind, never left that ultrasound date. Yeah. And getting there, right? Yeah. We got there. At this point, COVID is happening and I'm no longer able to go to the appointments. So Oh, was that right? Yeah. Wow. Uh, I Pff, so I'm you dri- don't think about it unless you you No, there. right. Wow. So I'm Interesting. I'm driving Blair to the appointments and I'm waiting in the parking lot um and we're like texting the whole time. While <laughs> I'm in the car and she's in the waiting room or yeah. in the doctor's office. Um and when we got to that ultrasound appointment Um, she had to go in by herself, um, which was hard and, you know, just texted the whole time. And, uh, I remember her, um, you know, texting me, um, you know, and I think she's trying to sneak like her phone in in between while the doctors are doing their stuff. Uh, and she texted me that, um, it's good. Yeah. I remember that's what I it said. It's good, and you know, it was just such a, a sense of uh, relief mm-hmm. and the weight off our shoulders. Uh, fast forward several months, um, things are continue to progress quite well. We kind of mentally feel that we're over the past that period of time where, you know, things could go wrong Mm -hmm. and I'm in my office at city hall and my phone rings and it's Blair and I have some people in my office. And so I just say, oh, you know, um, my wife calling, do you mind if we pick this up Mm -hmm. after? And so they, they leave and I answer the phone. And I can just hear her crying. And my heart just drops. And my chest gets so tight, like I can't even breathe. And I can hear, and she's at work at this time. And I can just kind of make out a little bit. And. She says that she's going, that she's was headed towards home. Um, and so I bolt out of the city hall, again, my car drive home. She's already there, uh, come through the door and, and we just hold each other and just sob. And she said to me that she knew that she was miscarrying. I called the clinic and told them, and they said, well, we'll have you come in for an ultrasound on monday and this was on this happened on i think a thursday or friday i remember getting so angry yeah i'm like what do you mean we need to come in right now Mm -hmm. my wife is miscarrying and they said well come in monday we just want to we'll do an ultrasound to confirm everything I'm like you're not listening to me I'm telling you my wife is miscarrying we've been through we've had four we know we've had four losses we know anyways the days between that phone call and going to the clinic I don't even remember They're just kind of have evaporated from my memory. We go to the clinic. I can't go in. Blair has to go in by herself. I'm going to talk later about how brave my wife is. She goes in by herself and I'm sitting in the parking lot and I'm waiting with my phone on my lap. And I remember just saying to myself, you know, God, please do something. I will do anything if if everything's okay I I can't remember my exact words but just you know sort of monologue in my head this conversation I'm having and she was in there for about half an hour and then she texts me And it said, oh my God, we have a baby. And I just like, what? (laughs) Huh? Like, I was just like, I, I didn't know how to react.
1: Like you had psyched yourself up for the worst, basically.
0: We knew we were a hundred percent sure that's what had happened. We, We knew it all the signs were there her body was doing Mm. basically the exact same thing anyways she came down i saw her come down the elevator i just bolted out of my car we met each other in the parking lot just hugged her and again we're just just crying but this time different types of tears, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just like, how is this possible? And, um, it turned out that she had, um, um, an internal bleeding that presents like a miscarriage, Hmm. but didn't impact the baby um (laughs) and again it's something that is not super common you know and we always reflected about the fact that like everything that wasn't common was the thing that was always happening to us but we had the baby he was still there and she went under, you know, very significant, extensive kind of supervision mm-hmm. when they were monitoring her, you know, throughout. And on May twenty-six, Owen arrived. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, feels like a miracle. Yeah. Honestly. Um, just... I don't know what we've done to deserve this, but we just feel so thankful. Um, It's really changed our life.
1: Uh, I appreciate you sharing that story. And I know just as friends, you know, you had kind of given me bits and pieces and I, I was not aware of the the full circumstances and and everything that happened in, in that order. And I think it's important to talk about this because as I have discussed on the podcast, I think we live in a grief avoidant culture. We live in a society where we don't really like to talk about these things and they are a lot more normal than we like to think. And these things exist and... I've talked about grief on the show and this is a type of grief that you go through and certainly to have to go through it four times. I guess the part that I can't imagine is like the swing from all this pressure of anticipation and joy to sudden loss and, and that swing happening so quickly and of, a, you know, a child or grief of over something that hasn't materialized. Obviously, there's like there's sadness that that you're overwhelmed with. But how did you and how did you and, and your wife Blair make that space to grieve and to understand these heavy emotions that you obviously have to digest,
0: right? Yeah, yeah, it you're right it the sudden change in the emotions you're experiencing is like a shock to your system um and and sometimes it feels like it takes a bit of time for your brain to catch up to what's happening you know and i talked about sort of my elected position adding some complexity to it, it's like mm-hmm. you know this happening and then like oh yeah, in three days there's a city council meeting and there's a big agenda and there's a lot of important issues and and you're required to be there yeah and be participating and, and help, be quote unquote normal <laughs> and help guiding right yeah so making this space, was not easy yeah but it was something that each time we really made a concerted effort to to do that for each other and and also understanding that it wasn't going to be a period of it's not necessarily something that happens in some sort of neat and tidy sequential order Mm -hmm. there were days when we were really sad yeah it might be seeing a family with a new baby Mm. you know part of being an elected official to and being sort of known and out in the public is people coming up to you and you know we got asked a lot, oh, when's number two? Right, or, that innocuous. Yeah, or yeah. when are you going to have another? And I don't, you know, p- people weren't doing that out of, uh, because they were mean or or trying to be insensitive, or, you know, this just, these are things that maybe, you know, we... We don't fully think about before we we ask, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But there'd be things like that would happen, you know, quite frequently, um, and you know, sometimes, you know, we would always put in a a brave face. Mm-hmm. Say, well, you know, we're not sure. We'll we'll see. We're we're trying, you know, type of answer. And then you know, sometimes when you're alone after that. You're just like, (sighs) yeah, you know, um, were you on the same grief journey
1: together or did you find that you took it differently? I mean, imagine you did, but I I don't know what,
0: what that experience is like. I think it was different and, and we've talked about it, how it was different for, for us. Um, I think my, grief came a little bit later just the way i'm kind of built i guess my sort of immediate response and inclination was to try and do everything i could to support the person i love more than anyone right my my wife and then my son, my first son Liam, after the other ones happened when after he was born. Mm-hmm. And um, and it wasn't out of some idea that, oh, because I'm the husband, I'm not allowed to be upset or I have to be a rock or solid. It, it was not coming from that place, it was coming from a, a place of someone who i love is hurting and i put my own things not away but kind of put them a bit to the side Mm -hmm. to do what i feel i need to do for that person yeah um so i would say that mine um mine came later um and you know it it also led to some you know really deep conversations with with friends and and other people um as it went on i felt more comfortable asking Mm. for help asking for you know about other people's experiences um and and made a lot of Connections, and I felt like that was a way that I was able to work through it as well.
1: Obviously, you have your family, but how do you approach friends with that type of? I mean, you're obviously not approaching everyone, but yeah, yeah. How do you broach that subject, knowing that sometimes you're at a loss of of words of what to say or yeah, how to express yourself or how to express what you're feeling?
0: Yeah, it um. It can be challenging for sure. And it's the fear of kind of opening up and, and bearing your, your soul or, you know, your your fears or mm-hmm. um, your fear of inadequacies and, and all of that can keep a lot of people from, from sharing, Yeah, you know? One of the things that I was reminded of Throughout this process is, you know, the fundamental kindness and goodness that exists in, I think, most people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was at first a little more circumspect about sharing, um, and only did so with, you know, some people who particularly close to. Mm-hmm. But as I did and we had discussions and, and and sometimes found out that they had gone through something similar, it made it easier. Yeah. And that led to more conversations and more opening up and a realization that this is a reality and a part of life for a lot of people mm-hmm. that doesn't get discussed, I think, to the degree that it should. Yeah. Um, and you know, there still is a lot of stigma attached to it. Um, and, and not everyone knows how to ask for help mm-hmm. or to get support. And I think there's also a need for more support. You know, again, I don't wanna weave politics into it, but, you know, you talk about, again, the ways in which we were fortunate. And it seems weird to say that we were fortunate in going through something that felt like the worst thing you could ever go through. But, you know, we didn't have to worry that Blair's employer was going to say, no, you, you have to be at work. Mm-hmm. She was able to take some time. You know, That's not the same for everyone. Mm-hmm. I've talked to people who have gone through this experience who have been expected to be back at work the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so there's a lot more I think we can do to provide support to, to people who go through this.
1: I almost feel like one of the cultural issues with this, and there's a lot of different angles we can look at this, but when we look at this type of loss, it's kind of like this hidden loss, right? As opposed to losing a parent or... Mm-hmm. You, you know, losing losing someone that's that's alive, losing a job, whatever, right? Like, this is a very private, hidden, tucked away loss. And as such, it's much more easily shrouded in that stigma and that privacy, but that privacy that might not actually be helpful, right? right? I mean, even when you lose someone in your life, there's a funeral, there's these rituals that we hold on to, mm-hmm. but there's no real guide or or ritual, at least in the West that
0: I know of for something like this. Right. Yeah. And I think it's important that people be able to make the decisions that are right for them Mm -hmm. and their family. And so not everyone who experiences this type of loss wants to talk about it. Sure. Yeah. And that's okay right but there are people who feel that it's not something to be discussed when discussing or or talking about it could help Mm -hmm. and so that's where i feel we need a a societal shift right to take it away from as you i think you've described it perfectly a a hidden loss to acknowledging it as a loss and allowing people to grieve through that loss in the way in which they want to, Mm -hmm. not the way in which they're expected to.
1: Right. And, And you're absolutely right. And again, I can't speak to this type of loss, but I can speak to... Grief and different forms of grief. And grief is this wild, untamed beast, right? As you said, it's not a linear process that you digest your feelings in. But it is the process of digesting that grief, which can happen in many different ways, that is important, right? And finding that what works and, and <laughs> how you go about that and And a lot of times, for I think a lot of people, and historically, it has been finding that sense of community,
0: yeah, a- absolutely. And you know again, to my mind, part of letting people do that is having the the supports in place, right? So it you're not having to make a decision that if I am not able to go to work today mm-hmm. because of what I'm going through that, that choice is off the table, that, you know, that, that I have to, you know, that you, you're making, you're making a forced decision. Um, and, and I'm not gonna share the story because it's not mine to share, but, you know, in, telling people about our experience and hearing others experience i mean i've heard some gut-wrenching stories about what's happened in the aftermath and where there are deficiencies in either our our supports or our laws um that have made people have to make really tough decisions hmm. um, and how that has, has impacted them and has harmed their ability to to heal.
1: And are you specifically talking about employment? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, I almost wonder how many women and men, I guess, wouldn't even feel comfortable telling their employer that this is happening, mm-hmm. you know, as you said, it's not not really a pleasant thing to to well, admit. And then there's so much stigma around it well, as you, well.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, for instance, you know, it, you mentioned about, you know, for the loss of a, uh, of a family member, a parent or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, in most workplaces, probably all of them, you know, there's an acknowledgement that when that ha- happens someone's going to need to be away from work and mm-hmm. you know bereavement and, and know, even that's usually not enough it, in a for lot sure, of cases right absolutely <laughs> some of the stories i've heard about the callousness in which some people who um and and, and let me just say to make a bit of a generalization. It's not from people who would work in a, in, in the professional class, Hmm. you know, I'm, I'm I'm talking about, you know, working class wage earners. And you know, that's another passion of mine who are not always afforded that space and opportunity. Mm -hmm. And then Again, the stories I've heard about what that does Mm -hmm. when you're not able to take that time, um, as modest amount of time as it may be, to grieve your loss.
1: And it does go back to that idea of the more dispensable you are seen as in the market economy, the more you're dehumanized, actually. And we've seen it in, our, in the pandemic,
0: right? Absolutely. I mean, it. There are times when the the tears of our society reveal themselves in a way that you cannot look away from mm-hmm. or ignore. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of them particularly during the pandemic. Mm -hmm.
1: Obviously, something like this and then to happen multiple times, multiple times in succession, like this must add so much sadness and stress onto your marriage, onto your relationship. How did you two support each other to keep your relationship strong? Strong enough that, you know, you wanted to keep trying because I imagine that when trauma or certain stresses hit a relationship, you know, people start to put up walls or suppress their emotions and stop being honest with each other, right? Out of shame or guilt or whatever. And oftentimes trauma can lead to the end of a relationship. That's very common. What was your strategy, Blair's strategy to to make sure that didn't happen or to avoid those pitfalls?
0: communication was really important to us uh, throughout and really listening to the to our to each other mm-hmm. and you know particularly for someone like myself who likes talking <laughs> sitting not speaking listening yeah was really important, and and you know, we tried and failed a number of different things, you know, so <clears throat> it wasn't always perfect or easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but that communication was so important, and our son, Liam, I think also got us through it mm. because. going through the, the three losses while having him, you know, sometimes as a parent, you have to, you, you summon some otherly superhuman strength um, for your child. Yeah. And, you know, I think about my mom, and everything she did for my sister and I on her own, and you know, have often pondered how she was able to, to summon the, the resilience and the strength to, to be the type of mom that she was. Mm-hmm. And being a dad to Liam, you know, I, I found that within myself as well. So I think that was a big part of it too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, this happened from, you know, the period of him being two years old to now he's four years old. Hmm. And so, you know, when when you have a two year old, a, uh, a three year old, <laughs> four year old, you know, they're number one still. For, <laughs> for sure. Whatever and, hap- whatever's happening in your life, they're still number one. And, you know, I, I guess that was one of the things that Blair and I did for each other as well. Um, because you're right, he's number one. And we put him above all else. Mm-hmm. Um, including above whatever we were feeling or going through at the moment. So that's where, you know... Okay, Liam, it's gonna be uh, a Liam and dad day. Mm. We're gonna go do something. And, um, and, and, or, you know, it's gonna be Liam and mom day. And they're gonna go do something, and, and dad's gonna, you know, be at home. And so, mm. you know, again, I think the communication between us was knowing when we, we needed that time. Yeah. Um, so it was imperfect um, as we are. Yeah. Uh, but we, we worked through it together.
1: Obviously there is still all this joy in your family, right? You have these two beautiful boys, great marriage, but going through this grief, going through it so many times, is it something that, that goes away or, or do you find that you still end up carrying a bit of it. Yeah. Even even with your second child, the, the one that you wanted, right? Well,
0: and again, that's where we're so happy and feel a sense of fulfillment and joy that I think could not be matched. Mm-hmm. We're also cognizant of the fact that not everybody's story has the same ending as ours Mm -hmm. and i do think we we carry some of that um we don't want to be triumphant triumphant about it right exactly you know because it it's the way it's just the way it worked out it could have easily not worked out that way and as we've discussed for a long time it didn't um, so I, I don't think for us it's ever we have felt like we've closed the book on all of the two years mm-hmm. of that experience I, I feel like that will, will stick with us I think that that's partly what is informing both both of our interests not only mine but Blair's as well in trying to raise awareness hmm. around pregnancy loss is because we don't take the have the mentality like okay that was something we went through and now it's done hmm. and we were successful and so It's just we get to go be a happy family now. Yeah. I think we feel like we have a responsibility and sort of a sense of duty to be a voice Mm. and to share. And if it helps one person or one family that's struggling, then it will have been worth sharing. Yeah. And, and, that's the feeling that we kind of carry with us. Mhm. And again, I obviously appreciate you
1: sharing that with me, sharing that with the listeners. Uh, I'm I'm a firm believer that as I said, grief comes in many forms. And it's a fool's errand to try to <laughs> make a hierarchy or or make sense of the different forms, but it's you know, it's it's a beast. And I I don't think it ever does go away. You know, e- yep. even if your life works out and <laughs> whatever it is, I I think we all carry that like as a some sort of scar or just something a, a passenger that we don't talk to. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's uh, I'm not I'm not convinced that that emotion of grief ever leaves you.
0: No, I I agree. I, we are shaped by the totality of all of our experiences and mm-hmm. i don't think that we you know get the cherry pick which ones you know they, yeah. they all have impacts on us in different ways we can have some influence or some decisions around how we respond to them and things we do with them and but i i, I agree with you i i don't believe it just dissipates Mm -hmm. and you become whole again. Is there anything you would have done differently
1: or maybe would recommend to particularly men, I guess, uh,
0: in dealing with something like this? Um, I think I wish I had reached out to friends earlier on because even though we got there, there was a period of time, as I mentioned to you, where it was it was just really us, mm. um, and just very, you know close family, a- and not even all of our family. Mm. Um, and that felt very lonely. Yeah That felt very lonely. So the reaching out earlier, again, which is sort of a leap of faith, because you're course, you're just yeah. not sure how it's gonna yeah. go. You know, I, I recommend people do that. There there are resources that are out there, um, and n- encourage people to 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 look for those and and you know access them. Um, you know, at, at, I'll just say this my email address is easy to find. There's someone who wants to talk. I invite them to reach out um, because I'm lucky that I had people who I was able to reach out to eventually when when I was at the point where I felt I could mm-hmm. and and it made a lot of difference. Going through something like this it obviously
1: changes you. And we've talked about this idea of grief and something you carry. Has it made you look at things like purpose or meaning in a different light or maybe validated, strengthened your beliefs that you had? What's been the, and you can just tell me
0: what you believe in. You don't have to go through (laughs) the the full evolution of it, but but what have you taken out of it? Over our previous episodes, we've certainly established what I believe in. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> but on, on a yeah.
0: political level, sure. but I'm, I'm thinking on a personal, spiritual totally. level here. Um, so I, I would say a, a couple of things. Um, first, just, and again, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning in terms of the prioritization, it... it really has recentered me, uh, in terms of how important, uh, family is. And, yeah. and f- that was always my number one priority. But I think that this experience has led me to make decisions that really reflect that Mm -hmm. in terms of where I put my uh, energy and and focus and and understand that I can still be a a really, really good mayor (laughs) while also making sure that my family is getting what They need from me, yeah, Um, and so I think that that has been important and and something that I believed in and knew. But I think I have um, a clarity around it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, a clarity around it that that and and don't struggle with it as much anymore. it's, It's very easy for me now to you know to prioritize accordingly so that i mean i i think just i know it probably like is kind of cliche but just this a sense of how precious our time yeah and and life is and Really wanting to to make the most of it, yeah, as it relates to being someone who is in the political arena, I think absolutely uh, a strengthened resolve that the things that I care about are worth fighting for mm-hmm. and a sort of dogged determination, determination to to stay in in the fight, yeah, and and just a, a a absolute sense of of why, yeah, and who for, and you know I've really drawn that from from my family and from this experience, and then I said I want to talk about my wife for a minute, of course, and. In her own way, Blair has shown me what strength, resilience, compassion looks like that I don't think I've ever seen or, or have felt before. And just the whole that, that drive the, her, you know, I, I I guess sometimes particularly if you're in the sort of political realm, you kind of equate strength and resolve and passion with, you know, beating your fist on the desk <laughs> and condemning people, you know, and saying, this is what's wrong and this is what we should be doing and this is yeah. and I may have be guilty of having done that once or twice myself. Sure. Um, makes for great theater. <laughs> but it's sort of it's the the quiet strength. And I think that that's something that I'm learning from her. Hmm. Um, And I think that that has been an important lesson in in something that I'm still learning and reflecting upon, um, you know, strength and passion and resilience and kindness and these things can be revealed in, in, in so many different ways. Yeah. You know, um, and I'm, I'm just so in love with her and just feel unbelievably lucky. Yeah. You know, forget that big Lotto max that everyone is chasing. (laughs) I've, I've hit a lottery, you know, that doesn't even compare. Um, so it's, I love that. All of it has been, you know, um, has been a, an experience that I hope makes me a better husband, a better dad, better person. Uh, and a a better elected official, a better public representative, um, you know, a better advocate for the things that I care about. Yeah.
1: And again, I I know this was not easy to share and I know it's going to mean a lot to a lot of people to hear it because it is normal and it happens and grief is normal. Right, and someone might be hearing this and their grief is not about pregnancy loss but it's about something else and they'll relate to it and I think we have to open up that space to talk about these things and to talk about what where we derive meaning and purpose and the will to do the things that are important to us and you can't
0: just say more too yeah, like I think, yeah, I don't want to get political on it, but I think having elected leaders, and I'm not putting myself on a pistol and saying, oh, like people should do it like I'm doing or anything. Like that. I'm just saying, I just know from my own involvement in in politics and and talking to other elected officials you know there's been traditionally there has been a real reluctance to show the the full range mm. of human emotions right. um, and this idea that and I don't think it's quite as prevalent as it was before but there's still this idea that to be an effective mayor, premier prime minister, M-L-A-M-P, whatever, you know, you, you have to be stoic almost. Mm-hmm. And I think
1: having... Emotions are shunned, right? right. They're a sign of bad decision-making right. if you're too emotional Weakness or you show too much. Yeah. Or,
0: you know, and, and I've always, yeah. like I've, uh, so I've always disagreed with that because like, for instance, um, I remember, um, seeing um, I think it was a tweet I, I forget who from it was I think a, a fairly prominent former MP and it was basically suggesting that like anger is not a valid emotion or, right. a, or a place <laughs> from which you should be coming from yeah and like you know, <laughs> I've always felt like there are things, that have happened and are happening in our communities, in our province, in our country, that people have every right to be angry about, oh, yeah. and and we shouldn't try and say, you know, kind of it's very dismissive. It's this idea, oh, well, you're just angry and and somehow, therefore you're, you know, you're not in the right frame of mind to be coming up with good public policy right. to you know fix whatever issue has you so exercised uh and uh, and this is
1: where our pads are intertwined because i've heard the same thing about myself and i've seen the comments and i've seen them from relatively prominent people he's angry he's puritanical <laughs> it's not principles it's it's it's, it's uh, you know perfectionism it's, it's it's not passion it's anger and it's like all that stuff's bullshit i think if you're just if you're being authentic and you're speaking to what you care about and authentic in emotion as well when it comes to family issues when it comes to grief you know we should be celebrating that and we should that's where you derive compassion for each other uh, and and
0: it's in that place where i think you can really connect with other people. Mm -hmm. And when you connect with people and understand people's lives and experiences, I think you make better decisions as an elected official. We're not meant to be robotic. Yeah. Sort of- Ultra-rational algorithms that just make the decisions. yeah, Yeah, like, okay, you know, that's you've you've put it perfectly, right <laughs> uh you know if if that's what we're going for, I'm sure they have there's been enough advancements in AI now yeah. that we can just be be governed by artificial intelligence yeah um so this this idea that permeates so much of our political culture that um there's you know it, it's it's all about this sort of dispassionate uh above people rationalization and you know uh data crunching and and all this sort of stuff and you put it all together and it spits out the answer and 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 that's what we should do and then some people take that and they hold it up and they say well this is this is good public policy and, you know, anything that uh, deviates from this is, yeah. you know, is just either populism, <gasps> oh right. my goodness, or, you know, or something else, whatever, you know, they want to pick to to denigrate yeah. it. And, and so I just... But it's know, another way of just selling you shit.
1: That's all it for is, sure. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. they can dress it up as this ultra-rational, oh, it's above emotion and whatever, but it's just another marketing ploy to yeah. sell you on something and even perhaps sell you against your own interests yeah, or your own feelings about something.
0: Yeah, and it's also uh, a, a very convenient cover for ideas that just aren't popular. <laughs> but, ra- We're not ra-
1: talking about road tools today. No, no, no.
0: I, 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 <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like yeah. in, instead of having to address the, you know, the, the drawbacks with your proposal mm-hmm. or idea that make it unpopular with people, you can just say, oh, well, you know, people wouldn't understand. They're, they're, right. They're, it's they're too emotional, too, you know, they don't know what they want, you know, right? Right, and so, right. anyways, just to circle back, <laughs> I think being... In a place where we have elected officials who can be reflective of the full range of human emotion is healthy, mm-hmm. proper, and I think takes those elected officials to a place where they can better connect with the, the people that they're supposed to be serving. Yeah, 100%. You're speaking to the emotions guy, the guy who feels. I'm 100
1: percent in, of course. I, you know, I said this was going to be a, an apology tour of of sorts. There was another episode that you were on, episode 60, where I made a very emotional plea again for you to run for for higher office. And I, and I think about it, and I now feel very silly about it. Not because I, I don't think you, you would do a good job. I think you'd be amazing. But it's also treating that ask <laughs> without any context of the importance of family and, again, purpose, meaning. You know, my, my dad, Mo Senior, who added you to Facebook, I that you guys are friends, he's the hardest working person I've ever known and he provided me with the best life I, I i can't remember a time where i was consciously worried about food or security or anything like that and everything that i wanted in a sense not that we were overly rich but you know the key components of what i wanted in my life i were all attainable but when i saw See, and I think back about a particular time where he was working, he would be getting up at 3, he'd be getting home at 7 p.m. That takes a toll on you. He was a good dad, and, and I'm not I'm not saying he was not present. I'm just saying that takes a toll. And there's more to life than just uh Money, money, power, power—the <laughs> next step—and and you know it, it goes to again how I started the show of sometimes you get in these traps of ascension and these invisible stairs and brass rings that you make for yourself. And momentum is everything, and I, I I'm still a believer of momentum. But when you step back, you're like, I'm actually in a hamster wheel. <laughs> maybe maybe I should just cool it for a little while reassess realign the values do what's important to me and what's authentic to my emotion as opposed to just running on autopilot because you think the the trajectory is supposed to go a certain way mm-hmm and that's always kind of what i've wanted in this podcast right like uh, again i'm not saying i'm not coming back i'm just saying i'm going on break but i've always wanted people to maybe look at things in a emotional way for sure but also just in a counter-intuitive, bigger-picture way. <laughs> Let's just sit back. What are the actual questions here, you know? Because mm-hmm. we get so focused on the minutiae of all this bullshit. <laughs> yep. And it sucks that sometimes it takes a trauma or it takes some shit to to pull back and, and uh, appreciate what's important. So that's my second apology to you is to... <laughs> Forcing that idea that you had to do something. It was so stupid of me to say that. No. I meant it sincerely, but it was a stupid thing to say.
0: Well, again, <laughs> for the second time, no apology <laughs> necessary. I know where you're coming from. I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I'm always um, feel very um, humbled when people say, oh, I think you should run for higher office or or things like that and you know i guess i've always kind of had the view that like just me running for higher office or being elected to some other office is not in of itself that meaningful mhm you know i i know our politics are very personality focused mhm so you know, it becomes about sort of the individual, right? For me, what I feel is important is that the the values and the ideas, the things that I think are important, that those are the things that progress. Yeah. And, you know, that doesn't have to mean that I, progress Mm -hmm. in terms of elected office. You know, again, there, there's so many different ways in which we can make change, positive change in our, in our communities, in our country. So um, that's, that's, I've always had that kind of perspective. Yeah. Um, You know, running for mayor wasn't about becoming mayor because I wanted to be mayor and it was a lifelong ambition to be mayor. It was there is was an opportunity yeah. and here are the things that I feel strongly about. I care about, I think that we can do better and there's the opportunity to, to go and do it. Yeah. You know, so I, you know, ultimately, you know, the, the answer I gave you back then is, is, is still reflective of my current thinking. Um, but I'll layer that piece onto it. Yeah. Um, You know, that's what I think is important in making those decisions. And
1: I think we need more people who think that way that go into it, that really think about why they're there. Because, you know, whether it is media or politics, it attracts a certain A-type personality (laughs) that might just be driven by ego. Yeah, You know, and and, and there's a lot of people that are driven by good stuff, but there's a lot of people in there who just want
0: that title. You you have to be really grounded and so centered in why you're doing Mm -hmm. it. Because there are so many enticements. Yes. And I'm not talking about like, here's a big bag of cash if you do X. I'm like, the enticements are, some of them, I mean, I don't... (laughs) I I should say I don't disbelieve that there may be that type of enticement at some level. I mean, you, if you read Sam, Co- if, if you read <laughs> Sam Cooper's book, you know you, you, you're gonna you're gonna have your eyes wide open. But enticements come in all sorts of yeah. different shapes and forms. The promise and, of being
1: an executive at a real estate development company. Well, that might be one of them for sure. <laughs> you know,
0: you know you can. A, That's a good a, job when waiting. A board seat on the China-Canada Business <laughs> Council. You know, there's, um, yes. So the point being, you have to stay rooted, grounded, centered yeah. Yeah. In, in what you believe, why you're doing this, and who you're for.
1: Yeah, I stay grounded in that idea of whatever it is I'm doing Whatever choices I make, I want to be able to look back at them and say, I did the best that I could, you know, to what was important to me. And there's certainly times in my life where I can't say that. (laughs) Those, it's done, what's done is done. But that's what I strive for is Mm -hmm. to be able to, because we all know at the end of the day whether we did the right thing or not, right? Yep. And whether we did our best to live up to what's important to us. And that's the thinking that's kind of always grounded me, whether it is family, whether it is career, whether it is these side projects, passion projects, hobbies, whatever. I've always rooted myself in that belief because all that stuff matters. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's that stuff that makes life enjoyable. The little things, and I was actually thinking about that. I was like, you know, the the moments of joy that we really have are usually pretty small, private moments mm-hmm. with just a couple of people. Maybe it's never the big public moments, yeah. you know. And those are cool, but it's not the same, you know. It's it's the more quieter moments where you get that like sustained contentment.
0: Yeah, that's that's been my experience. Yeah, and I, I think that that's very true. Yeah, Brad West, the mayor of Port Coquitlam.
1: Seriously, no, I, I appreciate you coming back. I, I'm sure a lot of people were expecting something much different, but I know we had talked about talking about this for a while, and I didn't know what it was going to sound like, and, and I just wanted to give you space to tell your story and to, to advocate for for the things that you believe in. And so I know it takes a lot of vulnerability and it's emotional. And so I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you telling that story. What is your call to action? Potentially the last call to
0: action on This Is Van Color. My call to action is the continuation of <laughs> This Is Van Color. <laughs> um, It'll be. It'll it, be like, back, most likely, like most it, likely. You know, it's see you later, not goodbye, like you said. Yeah. I, you listen. I
1: mean, and that's why I'm not trying to be too dramatic about it. I just, I just want to take a break. You know, unless I'm out uh, in Buenos Aires writing my novel and realize that that's what I need to do at this moment, <laughs> I'm sure I'll come back.
0: But, uh,
1: but you have open floor to an actual call to action. Okay, don't well, ruin it with that. The,
0: It's what I always say, and it's not particularly profound. You're not going to, you know, it's not going to be in a philosophy class or something like that. Um, It's not deep into, you know, the meaning of life. But it is, I think, a lesson that my mom tried to impart to my sister and I. and, And it's something that, I try to model for my children and will try and uh, impart to them family first, care deeply about what you believe in. Don't listen to those who tell you you can't or shouldn't go on. You're going to stumble. You're going to be knocked on your ass life is going to do that to you, get back up and keep moving forward.
1: That's it. That's a beautiful way to end the, the episode of this chat. I appreciate that. Brad, seriously, episode 30, 60, 100, and now 130. I feel like we did things that no one would have thought was possible. <laughs> and... I appreciate your time. I appreciate your trust. You are my brother. I've been telling everyone that, and uh, and I love you for it. So thank you for being here.
0: Uh, I'm I feeling the same way, Mo. I just what you've as as much as you know. I've been a, a guest here. I, I feel like you've provided as much to me as i've tried to give to you and and i've grown through our relationship and and our connection and and you know you you've been someone who i've been able to to come to and and talk to and, and get advice from and open up to um and i just can't thank you enough for for that i think that that is one of the most important gifts Gifts we can give another person and and you've given that to me, and I'm so thankful and appreciative of it. I'm so proud of everything you've accomplished. Um, you know i'm whenever I see that you know you've done something i'm 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 telling people about it <laughs> <I'm> telling, <laughs> telling there's there's most senior, yeah. My mom's name is Kelly, so okay. I'm gonna tell Kelly, "Hey." You know, so um, it, it's just been a real privilege to be a part of this in 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 a, in a very small way, and uh, I'm just excited for the future.
1: Well, well, thank you for that. I do appreciate it, and, and again, a lot of mutual feelings, and and it. Uh, I'm very proud to see you grow in the role that you have and be the voice that you are as well. And and I'm glad that this platform was able to connect us. Thank you so much. People, don't worry. Every Friday you'll hear me ranting and raving like a madman on this podcast feed. You'll hear me on CBC radios on the coast with Gloria Makarenko at 410 every Thursday on the best damn political panel in the city, the Soapbox Social. And you'll see me in Vancouver is Awesome every two weeks as well. But I will be stepping away from the long-form interviews just for now. I don't know if it's goodbye, but if it is goodbye, I will at some point post an update on this podcast feed about what I decide to do. And honestly, I just don't know, but certainly you have not heard the last of me. I hope you have an amazing summer, especially after all that we've been through with this pandemic. That's what I'm going to try to do, and that's going to be my focus, and uh, I'm just really blessed to be able to take a break on this note with my guest today. He is my bro. He is the mayor of Port Coquitlam. He is Brad West. And I am Mo Amir telling you for three damn years that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace.